following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome back to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I am joined, as always, by my fantastic co-host, Christopher Smalls Angelos. Smalls, today, Kevin App, head coach of the Williams College, uh, two nicknames, the Purple Cows, but also the Eefs, and he will explain to us in the episode what the Eefs are. But as I said in the episode later on, Kevin reached out to me about uh, some trash that was talked to him in an episode prior and we kind of got to talking a little bit, found out he's a Montgomery County, Maryland guy and, you know, decided we were going to have him on the show and learn a lot about Williams College. But just his career in general, having been a walk on at Cornell and working for some guys that we knew and Smalls just all of a sudden five minutes turned into an hour and 15 minutes. And I was I just could have talked for another five hours. I thought his message was awesome. And, and it's starting to get so amazing that we get to talk to people like this on a regular basis. And I know I say this all the time, but. You know, I don't know Kevin. I, maybe our paths had crossed before when he was a younger assistant, but didn't sound familiar to me. And, you know, to get honesty and an, a real conversation, like from a guy that I would probably never have an opportunity to talk to, it's just, it, it's special for me, you know, and I, I feel like I'm being selfish, but I hope it's special for the people who listen and what they get out of it. But Smalls, I just can't say enough about what a great guy I think he is. And, and obviously their team is tremendous, ranked eighth in the preseason this year, been to a Final Four, D3, National Coach of the Year. The list goes on and on, man. Mm-hmm. And what a, what an interesting how this story kind of unfolds. Uh, a young head coach, and for people that don't know, but I know a lot of people who listen to this are Division three. You know, they they know Division three basketball, but to go to a school like Williams and be a young head coach, uh, the expectations and the pressure that's what really caught my eye. Like, I, I got me excited about this interview because. I don't think people understand how how much pressure there is at a school like that in terms of, you know, basketball wise, but you have so much other stuff to worry about academically. You know, I put it like this in my own head. It's as if Penn or, you know, you were coaching an Ivy League school, but your expectations were to make it to the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16 or the Final Four every year. That's what this is. That's what this job is. And you've heard about the Duncan Robinsons who end up going to Michigan and, you know, sixth man of the year, and he's great at Michigan. But those players are very talented. They get guys that can easily be very effective, very good Division One players. And to have to pull in those recruits, the work that you have to do, that, and as a young coach, all of that pressure, to be able to handle it and then thrive and succeed, I mean, this is what this interview kind of was, and uh, it's interesting to get that perspective. And it's not a guy who's like, like you have different personalities. It's not a rah rah like this type of guy. And Coach Stitzel's a great coach. He's not Coach Stitzel at Millersville. He's a different. He's his own person, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, especially as a younger guy too. To be, you know, and we joke around with him a little bit. Talk about the fact that he has a uh, engineering degree from Cornell and. I kind of poked fun. I, 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 my roommates in college were engineering majors. I was never going to even pass one engineering class at Temple <laughs> if I had decided to go that route. So, but you, you generally get a, you know, more pragmatic individual who is, I'm going to 
like I said, look at this from all angles. I'm going to look at the numbers and look at the analytics and coaching is going to work for me or it's not. And he talked about that. He talked about taking a gap year. He talked about talking to his parents about like, well, what am I going to do with this Ivy League degree? And Coach Spiker was an assistant at Cornell while he was there. And, you know, him making jokes about, you know, this is a $200,000 degree or whatever. And so those types of conversations, Smalls, we don't, you know, we haven't gotten into them quite as much recently. And it's always interesting to hear guys that that openly admit to having doubts and openly admit to saying, like, I don't know if I wanted to coach. I don't know if it was possible for me to do the things I wanted to do in my personal life. I don't know if I can handle making no money. And I, I, I think I stopped and kind of got off track a little bit, which is not a surprise. But that, that was maybe the first conversation you and I ever had about starting this podcast was mm-hmm. what do guys think and what is their foundation when they look in the mirror at 28 years old and they're like, how many more years can I go on making 10 grand a year before I got to go get a job in sales or before I got to just say like, you know, this isn't going to work. I'm never going to get a break. And I just think that that's these types of conversations are what I wanted to have every single week was that like, look, guys, like just keep going. If you love what you're doing, if you're passionate, I know it's hard. Everybody's situation is different. Some people come from more than others, but like, truly 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 i believe if you love what you're doing and we can hear kevin talk about it we talk about his time as an assistant at cornell when they beat temple in the ncaa tournament really might bleep that part out talked (laughs) about you know him being a walk-on talked about how he got the call to join the cornell team talked about the expectations at west point talked about the first time around at williams and then going to the final four at williams two years ago and you know you can hear it. The guy, he loves it. He, he absolutely loves it. He, he talks about watching Southern Conference games at one o'clock in the morning when he was an engineer. Like, that's the stuff you get when you're like, man, I can't turn the TV off because I have to see what Steph Curry's going to do tonight. And if, you, if, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you feel that way and you, you know, you're like, man, when am I going to catch a break? I, you know, I love basketball, but it's not feasible. Like, these are the guys you need to listen to because, you know, at one point in 2008, like Kevin App was the, in the same situation. It didn't matter that he was a walk on at Cornell. It just mattered that he was probably sitting in a cubicle with probably a, a you know a lame shirt and tie on with a clipboard, probably short sleeve dress shirt because he's, he's an got the hard hat on looking at a hole, bro. Yeah, with with this clear glasses and he's in there like, oh, yeah, the specs are like this. And then he got home and he's like, I'm not sitting in traffic anymore. I'm not doing this. Like, I want to coach basketball. And that's what I love about this profession. I love that is the one equalizer is that you meet people and they're hoop, they're hoop nuts like you are like they want to coach like. They want to network like they want to be out every day teaching. And like, you know, I just I feel so strongly about this moving forward because of conversations like this. Like I want to make them show more of a networking opportunity for people. I want to put guys in touch like Smalls. I I want us to do that. I want to build this community. So like, listen, if you're feeling, you know, you're feeling down about it, you're like, I'm you know, I don't want to take another GA spot. I don't want to take another off spot. Like reach out to us. Like we'll put you in touch with guys that we know and 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 you can build your network through create your shot like that's what i want to do smalls i want this community engagement to be beneficial for guys and and you know, just this morning early monday morning 7 30 a.m like i'm having an epiphany about it smalls and I'm, I'm being like you for once you know yeah you're getting you're getting the juices flowing i'm glad i'm finally transferring over it takes a while coming from philly to nashville but uh, it, it, the train does arrive eventually i will say this uh, you, you said, or, you know, you've mentioned this word today and, uh, off air on air, but community, that's what we want to build. And one thing, and I'm going to, I know it was said off air, but I'm sure coach app wouldn't mind me saying it. One thing he said, this podcast has helped him with is it reassures a lot of things you're doing as a coach and as a young head coach for his, him in particular, 
And that's, that's a lot of, yeah, you hear a lot of the same stuff, but you also hear different stuff. And it's, it's things that you can't feel like you don't feel like you can talk about, but you get to hear it on the radio. And now you're essentially having a conversation with the guests that we have on and ourselves. And if you want to continue that conversation, I think that's the point you're trying to make reach out because we like talk. We don't need to be on air. I don't need to be on air to talk to you, to send you an email, to get on the phone. Um, we were young guys, like you mentioned, like how many years can I do this making $2,900 a semester and working at the YMCA? That's what you think about. And everyone does. I don't like everyone in that position does. And we've been there and, you know, some decisions I could have made better in the past, some decisions that I'm very happy with. And we can always help with that. Not saying we have the answers, but we can always connect you with the people who do. Um, and that's what this is about. It's a community podcast. It's not, it's not us. You know, we're trying to build something greater than ourselves. And I think that's, that's what's exciting. No, I, I mean, absolutely. And like I said, any, any guests that you want to be put in touch with, you know, reach out to us. We are at create your shot on Twitter, create your shot pod on Instagram, create your shot on Facebook and create your shot at gmail.com. Uh, DMs are obviously open, so slide in, but also, you know, send us an email. Like I said, that's that's what started this interview today is Coach App just, you know, sent us an email and, and said Sean Reticliano was talking a little bit of junk and he wanted to defend himself. So, <laughs> you know, anytime you hear something like that, you know, please just reach out. Let us know what we're doing. Uh, as always, you know, please, if you like what you hear, subscribe, rate us five stars, uh, leave a rating. Ratings drive us up the charts. Let us do some different stuff with more advertisers talking about doing a uh, meetup or viewing party in the uh, in Minneapolis this April. So we need to start making some moves on that. Let us know if that'd be something you're interested in. Same deal as always. If you do leave that five-star review, send a screenshot, send it to us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, or via email, and I will mail you a koozie. Free of charge, no shipping, nothing like that. We can get some marketing out there. One other housekeeping thing I've said the last couple of weeks, I'm on the Underdog NBA show every Thursday. Myself and Xander Gellison recapping. It's just the biggest headlines. Probably talk about uh, LeBron and Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo and James Harden and, and CP, or uh, not CP3, and Brandon Ingram. Getting in a little tussle on Saturday Night Smalls looked uh, kind of like how I used to try to fight you at pickup where I had no intention of actually <laughs> having anything happen because didn't want to get my jaw knocked off. But, you know, we want to talk about guys spitting on each other. But also, you know, just talk about the NBA a little bit, something different. So, you know, if you would subscribe, uh, leave a rating for that and leave a review, that'd be awesome. But other than that, Smalls, awesome interview this week with Kevin App. And I just, like I said, I want to put us out there as a resource. I, I don't know how many times I've said this before if I have not said it, but Get in touch with us. If you feel like you resonated particularly with a guest, like, you know, reach out and, and we'll make sure to get you guys in touch with whoever that may be, whether it's a media member, coach, whatever, you know, we are more than happy to do that. So thank you as always for listening and enjoy this week's interview with Kevin App, the head coach at Williams College. Kevin App, head coach of Williams College. Kev, it's early Monday morning. Uh, really happy to have you here. How are you this morning? Uh, I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, 
you know, I kind of referenced it when we, when we spoke, I'm, I think one of 11 college coaches that, uh, isn't in practice right now. So I appreciate you guys giving me something to do and, uh, something to look forward to this week. Yeah, it's a good, uh, good little segue. You guys start practice November 1st, I believe you told me. And this is now your, uh, your fifth season at Williams coming off a 23 and six year. You know, as you enter practice, you've had a lot of time to think about it. What, what would you say your goals are for the team? And then for you as a head coach, as you, you know, kind of take the last week and a half before you guys dive in. Yeah. So we have a group coming back. We got 10 upperclassmen and, uh, they've been through a lot the last couple of years. So, uh, our goals as a team are, you know, to defend our, league championship and uh hopefully make a run at the national championship um you know i'm fortunate to work in a program where that's um you know standard and a a goal that's been set before and accomplished before and uh this group um you know wants to try to attack that uh for me personally this is a senior class that uh was my first recruiting class so you know the first group of guys that uh committed to me being their head coach and um you know so i've kind of made a personal goal just make it you know as rewarding and enjoyable season for those uh six guys as i can yeah williams is an interesting kind of uh, I'm trying to think of the right word it's not necessarily an interesting job but the program itself is really prestigious both academically and uh and athletically i mean the program is littered with guys you know especially like the the coaching tree is unbelievable guys in the nba guys in division one head coaches like w- when you got the job what was your kind of approach to that? You know, how did you, you know, get, I don't want to say there was a ton of pressure, but like when you got there, you're like, man, I'm stepping onto a division three campus where like I'm expected to compete for a national title, but I'm also expected to graduate players at the top of their class. And the guys that are going to graduate are going to be high profile, you know, whether it's financial advisors, doctors, lawyers, whatever. It, it's just the, the blending of the two sides, athletics and academics. You know, what did you think when you, when you walked onto campus? Obviously you had been there as an assistant, but as a head coach, how, what was that feeling like? You know, but it was exciting too. Um, but you know, I take a lot of pride in representing those guys. Um, Coach Sheehy, that's now the AD at Dartmouth. Uh, Coach Paulson, who's at George Mason, and um, you know, Coach Maker, uh, who who gave me my first opportunity in coaching. So, um, you know, it was uh, exciting, as I said. But um, you know, it's unique and different than the other programs I had coached at because um, you know they were coming off losing at the buzzer in the national championship game so wasn't a whole lot i could uh you know uh improve on how did you so in describing that obviously you're coming into a a prestigious program where you have to succeed athletically but how did you kind of feel that pressure and deal with it um in a sense because i know your first two years you went 15 and 10 which is good but with high expectations were you ever feeling any doubts? Uh, yeah, it didn't take me. It didn't take all twenty-five games for the doubts to creep in. That's for sure. Um, what, was, Jan, what was game one? You know, you win game one like seventy-five to seventy-one, and someone emails you that you should have won by thirty or something. Uh, no, worse. We lost game one, and then we lost. Then we lost game two. Um, so we started zero and two after you know. You know, a team going, you know, they were coming off an Elite Eight and National Championship run. Um, you know, I was coming from West Point where we were shooting for 15 wins, 16 wins to have the first winning season in, in 38 years. And, um, you know, then to flip that perspective was uh, was interesting in its own right. Um, you know, to not be, you know, to look back on that first year and say, uh, was, was this good or bad, um, you know, in wins or losses? 
um, you know, to change how I evaluate it was, was probably good for me. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, inheriting this program, thinking that, um, you know, you had an opportunity to win. And when those first two games, uh, you don't get that win, um, you know, the doubt creeps in pretty quickly. And, um, you know, any fear you had uh, gets exposed and comes out. Um, but I had, you know, two, two great assistants uh, working with me. Um, I have a wife that offers me tremendous perspective. I was, uh, it was after the second game, I was just laying in bed, probably three, four in the morning. Um, and she finally just angrily looked over at me and said, you're never going to be a good coach if you're tired and miserable the whole time. So get to sleep. And, um, yeah, that, uh, you know, she, she kicked me in the butt a little bit and, um, you know, I figured it out, but, but looking back, you know, there's no better way to start really. Cause I, I got to learn a lot that I don't know, uh, I would have learned had, had we found, you know, instant success and, and won a bunch of games early. Yeah, I mean, that, that's great because there's so many coaches that are tired and miserable all the time, but they're successful. So I don't know if your wife's totally right about that. Uh, <laughs> but no, you've obviously had, you know, a tremendous amount of success. And you're actually that you were the Division Three National Coach of the Year. And, it, you know, that's kind of amazing that you hear somebody like yourself, you know, the first two seasons, you got a little doubts, you're 15 and 10, which is still good, but it's not that level. But then you become the Division Three National Coach of the Year. What do you think the key to that success was? A couple things that you can pinpoint. Uh, setting the bar lower uh, those first two years at 15 and 10. Uh, so then it looked like <laughs> I had something to do with it. Um, but, no, I mean, that, that award, uh, you know, we won that year was um, the team took a lot of pride in it because, um, you know, I think there's like three National Coach of the Year awards they give to the, at the D3 level. Two of them often go to the – um, rightfully so, the coach that, that wins the national championship. Uh, and that, that third one, uh, the Coach Robinson Award, you know, they usually try to find a, a coach and staff and team that, um, you know, shows some improvement throughout the year. So we took some pride in winning that one. Um, that year, even though we ended in the Final Four, we, uh, a lot of doubts crept in that year too. We started, uh, we started 11-1, got back into the top 25, and then, uh, you know, I must have started coaching them a lot more or something. We we dropped five of seven over a um, a two and a half week period, and um, immediately we're back out the top twenty five and um, fighting for our life in the league. Um, you know, we we're in a really competitive league. We were one and four at the time, having a home game against a top five team in the country, and um, fortunately we we ended up winning uh, five of our last six to get into our league tournament, and then made a run in our league tournament to. Uh, to get in that large bid into the national tournament. So, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, another just tremendous learning experience for me as a coach that, you know, even when things are going well, they feel they're going well. Um, you know, you got to make sure uh, the mindset of the group is right because uh, it can turn really quickly. Kevin, you actually mentioned something a minute ago. I'm going to go off script just for a second, but you mentioned something a minute ago about how like when you were at West Point, the goal was to try to just have the best season you could have in like the history of the program, which is, slightly different than at Williams after the second year going 15 and 10, going to the final four, the third year, and then going, coming back and saying like, okay, now, now we're ready to win a national championship, not ready to win a national championship, but it's something we can shoot for, I guess. Yeah. How, what flipped, what switch flipped in your mind to go from like, I want to coach the best team to now I'm able to feel like I want more than that. Like you said, this year you have a v really veteran group, you know, been to the final four, 
what do you think about like saying like, all right, our goal is to win the national championship or our goal is to compete for a national championship, especially as a guy who hasn't necessarily been in a program before where you can feel that way? And, and how do you keep yourself grounded in those expectations? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I knew those expectations were in this program and it, uh, before I got here and it, uh, you know, that's because of those coaches and teams before me. And, um, you know, I also took this job knowing I wanted to keep it there and make sure it, it stayed there because, um, I have a lot of respect for those guys. I, you know, one of the biggest reasons I wanted the job was, um, because my mentor coach maker, uh, I wanted to keep the program, you know, kind of in the vision that, that he had built, uh, over six years and then worked, um, you know, to instill here from the culture to the camaraderie, um, to the style. So I wanted to kind of keep that. So I took a lot of pride in it. Um, and I knew, I, I knew what was possible if we, you know, depended upon, um, you know, the type of players we were able to get in here. Um, you know, I'd seen kind of what the higher end of, um, D3 teams looked like, uh, just in our league, those first couple of years, uh, on top of, uh, you know, when I was an assistant here and, um, you know, the team recognized it too. I, I had, a he was a freshman, my, my second year, um, and we met during the spring and, and one of our team Amherst in our league went to the final four that year. And, um, seeing that I think gave our team some, you know, they, they beat us pretty handily that year, but our team didn't feel the, the gap was that big. So when they saw them, um, get to the final four, I think that kind of validated that, Hey, we have enough in this room, um, to make a run at as well. I mean, you guys also get to, I mean, once you get into conference, like conference plays just a bear for people that don't know, like, uh, like Middlebury, you said Amherst, like these schools have, have competed in one national championship. So it's not like, you know, you don't show up and you're ready to go. You get to really, really play. And by the time you get into the NCAA tournament, you, you feel pretty tested, I guess. Correct. Yeah. So that's the other thing we, we, once we get, got into the tournament that third year, we felt, and we had two guys on the team that had been to the national championship game as freshmen. So, um, once we got there, we felt, you know, we could make a run just based on our league. Uh, you know, the NESCAC we've had, I think six or seven teams make the sweet 16 in the last four years, um, or further. So, um, you know, just, just knowing that, um, if you can survive it and make the national tournament, you got a chance. And, um, but you know, it's, it's a different mindset. I can tell you that. Uh, but it's exciting and it's what we want to be about. It's what the college as a whole is about. Um, you know, we went to the final four the next year, the women's soccer team wins the national championship and there's, you know, stuff on campus like, well, do we got to match that or yeah, all uh, of a sudden the shine on Kevin app kind of like wore off. You got your national coach <laughs> of the year trophy, but then the soccer team's got a national title. They're like, yeah, it's we go to women's soccer game tonight. You know, midnight madness, not that important. It's just, yeah, they're shooting for their fourth, uh, fourth national championship game in five years this year so <laughs> how do you I, I think it's interesting especially at a division three school like like you said in the NESCAC like you guys can you know compete for a title every single year along those lines though you know what was your recruiting philosophy when you got in there and and how do you think it's changed over the last couple of years at Williams because you are able to pitch like hey this is a high level academic and athletic experience but it is division three so you know, scholarships and resources are different than if you've got guys who are maybe feeling like they're fringe D1 or, you know, Division II players. And, and how, how do you think you've combated that? Yeah, it's, um, you know, you got to find people that really value and, and the people I uh, try to find are the ones that really appreciate this opportunity and uh, know it for what it is. 
you know, probably 75% of the guys on our team, we were the first time they heard of Williams College was when we called them. And, um, you know, you're hoping that it ends up being the best academic opportunity for them. And some passed up D1, D2 opportunities that, that weren't quite the academic, um, you know, level that, that we are. Um, you know, and you're hoping our history and that opportunity to win. And that's really what we're selling is uh, the chance to do both, the chance to get one of the top degrees and the chance to uh, try to win at a high level. And, you know, some guys get to that decision in November and, and others it takes throughout their senior year and, and later in the year to, um, you know, to kind of pass up that that dream of, you know, Division One. March Madness that we all have when we're young basketball players and, and shift it to, um, all right, well, let's try to win a national championship and, and go on some, you know, win at a high national level uh, at Williams. Kevin, you kind of pointed out that, you know, you hope Williams is the best academic option or academic opportunity for the players that you recruit. Um, obviously, we've talked to a lot of high-level academic guys, Leffler at Hopkins, and it, it's a little different. So how do you manage, you know, players time and academic obligations while still fostering such a successful and tradition rich basketball culture yeah um, you know williams being a liberal arts school i'm fortunate that uh, they want the students here to uh, have the time and have the space and have uh, the opportunity to excel in areas outside of the classroom uh, athletics is a big part of that uh, the structure of our league everything from starting practice november 1st uh, we take a break during finals and winter period, um, you know, where we're not practicing and everybody's home. Um, our league plays Friday night, Saturday afternoon. So um, there's a lot of structure things in place where they can really um, not miss class and not miss those academic um, opportunities and put the time into it. Uh, I think, too, as a coach, you, you need to be respectful of their time um, and, and know what they're going through. And, you know, I try to equate my my time um, you know, as a civil engineering student at Cornell to what they're, you know, kind of going through here. And, um, you know, you also learn, you know, you got to, um, you know, be willing to, you know, accept some things. And, and um, you know, we had our all-league guard miss uh, two days before our um, league semifinal game of practice uh, to go do a internship placement day with J.P. Morgan and down in New York City. And, um, you know, you just got to, um, understand those things and, and trust the guys, you know, they want to put as much time and be successful in the basketball as well. Um, so you got to kind of help them manage that, that balance. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because your time at Cornell as a, a player. And as you put it, you know, big humble brag there, civil engineering student, which is, you know, awesome. Big, big brain. Yeah. <laughs> big brain, big brain in the show. Nothing we haven't dealt with before, but uh, did you kind of, were there a couple things during that experience that, you know, we're done from, for you from a coaching perspective that you've taken now as a coach at Williams. And what I mean by that is the coach either specifically, you know, had a, you know, an emphasis on academics and helped you guys out managing your time and things like that. Yeah. Um, Cornell had a similar structure to our day where all classes, uh, were done at four thirty. I mean, most people were surprised. Uh, you know, I was able to even do engineering at, a at a school like Cornell and play. I, I was uh, I was pretty surprised when I read that, Kevin, because it's just I've heard coaches say they steer certain guys away from certain majors because you just don't have a ton of time. You know, your commitment at the Division One level, 20 hours a week plus whatever extra, you know, I'm sure at Duke they're following all the rules. We hear all that, <laughs> that all the time. But, like, I, I agree, Kevin. Like, it's 
I mean, we had one, when we were at Temple, we had one guy doing engineering and it felt like Jimmy McDonald just was either always in class or always doing something team related and just there was no other time. And he was really gifted as a student. So at Cornell, for you, as I'm sure it was a little bit more difficult than Temple, just a slight little bit more difficult. I was really surprised to see that because I'm sure you were very challenged academically. Yeah, it was. I was just challenged more with my time than I guess some of my teammates. Um, I would like to say that's the reason um, you know my playing stats were what they were, but uh, unfortunately, that had to do more with the uh, the talent end of the spectrum. Um, you know, and I think being a walk on as well. Um, you know, Coach Donahue gave me some um, you know flexibilities. You know, I thought you know at times my role was to be that um, you know strong student and kind of represent uh, the program. You know, in the end, in engineering um college but um you know I, I was fortunate that cornell had the structure where you know labs and everything um didn't overlap with practice and uh you know was able to kind of manage that pretty easily got to take a quick break to talk about our partners at betonline.ag we're having so much fun with all the options on betonline.ag use the podcast one code to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus the month of October just keeps getting better every week. BetOnline.ag is your one place to get in on all the action today. The World Series is upon us. Every pitch, every swing, every moment, the intensity, the passion, all on the line this week with the Red Sox and Dodgers starting Tuesday night. NBA basketball has officially begun. LeBron in LA, Kawhi in Toronto, Golden State going for three in a row, and many more headlines in the NBA. Maybe like who is CP3 going to fight next? Not sure. NFL and college football continue with all the exciting matchups. Will Alabama go undefeated? I saw Tua in person this past Saturday, and they look like the real deal. Will the Rams keep up this incredible start to their season? And lastly, the NHL is underway. Can Vegas repeat their magical run to the cup from last year? Or will the Washington Capitals repeat as champs? For the true sports fan dream, this really is the best time of the year. BetOnline.ag has you covered. Use promo code PODCAST1 to receive a 50% sign-up bonus. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E for the 50% sign-up bonus. Podcast One. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Listen, in basketball nowadays, what's the big thing? It's analytics, right, Tyler? You're an analytics nerd. Love it. Love analytics. You love analytics. What if I told you, as a coach, you could be the mastermind of analytics. You'd have every analytical answer and the other coach would have no idea. That's exactly the advantage Blue Chew gives you in the bedroom. Yeah, you might have a tough loss, a big time win. You come home, maybe you have a great meal. Guess what? Blue Chew, yes, the first chewable pill, just like same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know it works. It's cheaper than Viagra and Cialis. And they're chewable, so they work faster. So let me just think about this. Cheaper, same ingredients, work faster. That's a coach's dream. That's called efficiency, baby. And that's what it does for you in the bedroom. If this, honestly, if if Blue Chew, if this was an Olympic sport, you know what I mean? Sex, that whole word was an Olympic sport. Blue Chew would be banned. Coaches, you got to take advantage of this. Don't worry about the awkward conversation with your doctor or anything like that. You get it shipped directly to your door in discreet packaging. Yeah, ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. I mean, it's just a no-brainer to just utilize this product and 
coaches, uh, it's not, this is a safe zone. Our podcast is a safe zone. You can listen. This is what I want you to do. I want you to visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use the promo code CYS. You just pay $5 in shipping. Again, listen to me. That's blue. B-L-U-E, chew.com, promo code CYS. Now get it today. You guys need it. Everyone knows they need it. Go a few extra rounds. That's one more time. Bluechew.com, promo code CYS. And now back to Kevin App. Yeah. How was your experience like recruiting? Uh, I'm sorry, your recruiting experience as a player, you know, when your your first conversation with Cornell and Steve Donahue and, and kind of how did you make the decision to end up at Cornell rather than maybe taking some other opportunities? Uh, going Being a guy from good counsel, you know, you end up up in uh, Ithaca. It's, it's chilly up there. It's not, <laughs> not a big city. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I want you to take it back. It's not so long ago to, you know, going through that process. Yeah, it, it it's not that long ago, but it, um, it, feel, it feels like a long time ago. What, and it's changed so much in the last uh, decade, even at the Division three and the academic um, level in terms of recruiting. Um, so I, I really wasn't, you know, even playing in a you know good high school league, wasn't overly recruited. Um, you know, Division three programs at that point were much more uh, regional based and word of mouth, I feel like, than they are now. And um, so I, I was recruited by Johns Hopkins and Catholic U a little bit. I knew a lot of people in those programs, um, you know, players from the areas that were playing uh, on those teams. A couple of my teammates went to Catholic U. Um, I was on all the mailing list for the Ivy Leagues, but but never really, um, you know, was actively uh, pursued by any of them. Um, actually, one of my small, funny, small world story, Will Hardy, one of the players here at Williams is now an assistant on the Spurs. and. Um, you know, Dave Tellup works for the sport, Spurs organization and, you know, his, his recruiting, um, you know, subscription was one of the big ones back when, when I was in high school and, um, you know, we had some high major guys on our team and we played at slam dunk to the beach in Delaware and, um, you know, I, I had a couple good shooting games. So, um, somehow they pulled it out of Dave Tellup's files and I got a call two years ago, um. Uh, you know, Will Hardy on the Spurs reading the uh, description of Dave Tellup and of me as a high academic target for Ivy League schools. And um, unfortunately, they didn't listen. Uh, <laughs> so I, I really went to Cornell because it was the best civil engineering program I got into. Um, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I, my entire career has been, you know, essentially built on, on good timing. Uh, you know, whereas I got to Cornell, they had had a few guards uh, leave the team, and um, you know, they actually called me on uh, you know November first. Uh, I was actually actually they called me Halloween. I was I, I told the team this story last year. I was dressed as a pirate um, out at a frat at Cornell. Um, you know, you would never do this today, but I, I left my cell phone at the uh, at my dorm because uh, my costume didn't have pockets and. Um, you know, got home that night to a message from uh, Joe Burke, who's the head coach at Skidmore now. Um, you know, saying Coach Donahue wanted me to, uh, you know, come to practice the next day, so uh, had to wash the eye makeup off and and make sure I, I looked uh, respectable and um, you know showed up at practice the next day. You definitely owned uh, like one of those big Nokia cell phones too, with like the antenna that popped out because it was like 2004 probably. So 
Yeah, people didn't like text messaging was like how many could you get away with before your parents <laughs> took your phone back and um you know so really I I left I I told the team you would never do this but I left my cell phone and, and went to a party. Um so, so it was uh you know one of my old man rants I I go on with them every now and then. I'm sure I'm sure day 1 of practice was was pretty good for you <laughs> after coming back late the night before. I hope you may, you must have made enough shots to to make an impact it sounds like. I mean you ended up playing in 45 games which is, you know, pretty impressive for for a walk on. Did you feel like your role was something you were able to grow uh, throughout your 4 years? Uh, how hard was it to carve out a niche as as a walk on? Um yeah, I mean, Coach Donahue. I mean, I mean, you guys have probably met him a little bit. He's he's just a wonderful person, and um, you know, he he will give you an opportunity if you if you work hard and um, you know earn his trust really. And um, you know, we had a younger team. We had a you know kind of an influx my senior year. Um, had some injuries, so um, at that point, he he trusted me enough to um, you know I played anywhere from three seconds. Hey, we have some fouls to give at the end of the first half, Kevin. Don't uh, you know? Don't do anything stupid, but give some fouls. Um, you know, to twenty minutes in a couple games where uh, we needed some um, you know just kind of veteran uh, get us in our offense type stuff. Uh, so he, you know, he and he taught me a lot about that. You know, as a as a coach, just um, you know, giving guys opportunities, trusting them, and, and putting them in a position to um, you know to earn playing time and earn earn your respect. Yeah, one of my favorite Steve Donahue stories, and and Smalls was there for this. We were in Indiana or Indianapolis at the Final Four, and he had just gotten the pen job. So we're at the Villanova party, which I'm sure Kevin, you've been to before. For people out there listening that have not been to the, the Final Four, Villanova has a little networking event, I guess I would call it. That when the first year I went was like 100 people, and then now it's like 9,000 people that want to go, you know, <laughs> shake Jay Wright's hand, which I can understand. But so we were in Indianapolis, and Steve Donahue had just gotten the job, and it felt like literally every single person on the East Coast was going up to him, kind of angling, like, "Hey, congratulations! What are you doing with your staff?" type deal yeah and he just looked so tired smalls do you remember that like he just yeah. looked so tired of like shaking hands yeah and saying like i don't know what i'm doing with my staff like i'm just gonna wait because this was all like you know you get guys that are high school coaches in the philly area yes. so it was like just a perfect storm for stevie d to have to deal <laughs> with all these people on like a random friday night in indianapolis it's amazing how popular you get when you either take a new job or there's a job open i uh it's i i I've been popular three times in my life, and it all centered around uh, either job openings or um, or or decommitment. There you go. Yeah, uh, I actually I do want to. You know, time as a player at Cornell, it was pretty good. But did you always know you wanted to coach? I, I believe you took a gap year where you put your civil engineering degree to work, and then did you decide I get one shot to do this, and I don't want to waste it, or I miss basketball to the point where. I don't care that I'm probably going to make a ton more money as a civil engineer. I mean, what kind of what happened in that year? And, and when did you decide I, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot as a coach? Yeah, I really, it was more the, um, you know, I always had it in the back of my mind and really just missed, uh, missed basketball, missed the, the team environment. I think, you know, having the walk-on experience, um, my perspective as a player in college was, uh, you know, instantly just all about the team. Like I was never expecting to play minutes. I was never expecting to, you know, be the guy scoring or anything so um i really just enjoyed you know getting the most out of the group and you know watching my teammates succeed uh, so i really missed that um 
you know, my senior year at Cornell, I was, you know, probably, I was, I was very close to the coaching staff. It was Nat Graham, Zach Spiker. Um, and, and Spiker actually would always, uh, he would come down to practice or if I was playing uh, pick up with them in the spring, he, he would just yell at me. You tell your parents yet? And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Uh, he said, you tell your parents that you're using your Ivy League degree and getting into college coaching. Um, so I mean, I, I talked a lot about it with those guys and, uh, you know, it took me, you know, it took me another year to tell my parents and, um, you know, in hindsight, it was a good decision because it, it allowed me to, um, you know, take some chances those first couple of years financially because I had, I'd saved some money as an engineer. Um, you know, and, and I joke now that the, really the Washington DC traffic drew, uh, drove me into college coaching. Um, it, it drove me that insane. It, it made me want to get into this business. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it was something I always wanted to do. Um, you know, I coming from, you know, my family, you know, sacrificed a little bit to send me to Cornell as well. So I, I think I took some ownership or, uh, you know, felt some guilt, not, uh, pursuing the, the degree I got to from, uh, from that school. But, um, you know, as I've learned more about, uh, life really is that, you know, sometimes college is just about who you meet and the doors that it opens for you. And, and, uh, you know, my experience at Cornell, uh, has really opened every door for me. I, I actually think, sorry, Smalls, I, I know you're talking no, a bit to, I'm get not. This, to get this one out, but I, I do, I want to touch on one thing, Kevin, that you brought up that we have actually never talked about in however many episodes of this show we've been allowed to do. And that's what, you know, kind of like, how do you feel about when your parents and your family sacrifice and, and trying to convince them that coaching is the right thing to do? Because I think that it's, now it's probably even, I mean, man, now it's probably even different than it was 10 years ago where you've, I mean, it, it, you just have to take jobs now if you're not, you know, even a really good former player. It's very rare for guys to get out and get a job that pays, you know, more than ten to $15,000 and if it even pays that. And so for me, when we were, at, when I was at Temple and when I was at the Sixers and, you know, finally even getting a job where I could tell my mother that like, I'm going to actually get a paycheck every two weeks was like one of the most important moments for me. And and I think that it, it's a fine line of like, why do you coach? And is part of it because you don't want to let down the people that made sacrifices to let you get into coaching. And so I think like, it's interesting to hear you say that because you have an Ivy League degree and it's got to be even worse. It's got to be like, I can be a civil engineer and I'll have a 401k and a pension and I'll have benefits and I'll have a, you know, a nice paycheck and a nice career and I can autopilot this for 45 to 50 years. But instead, I'm going to take a job where I'm going to rely on 18 to 22 year old kids to make sure that I'm really successful. And I love hearing that. Kev. I love that honesty from you because it was something I always thought about. And if you decided to do something other than coaching, are you going to let your family down because they did make sacrifices to make sure that, you know, you had an opportunity to coach. And I think that's the really tenuous, you know, part of the career now, especially for people who don't come from a really wealthy means is, you know, how do you have that conversation? What's the right way to frame it? And, and how do you know, like deep down, like, all right, I want to do this. I want to impact student athletes lives. I want to, I want to coach. I need that competitiveness. So I, I really appreciate you telling us that because I'm kind of picturing you get into the office and like the fifth day on the job, you're like, man, I can't do this. But then the next 360 days, you're kind of framing like, okay, how am I going to have this conversation? Am I going to put a little bit of a doubt every night at the dinner table or whatever? Because I think that's hard. And I think people don't consider that. They're just like, oh, if you want to coach, like you just have to do it. You got to go for it. And it's just not that simple. You know, I, I don't mean to rant a little bit, but it's something that I've always thought about. It's just not that simple. It's, it's tougher for people, I think. 
No, I think you basically just summed up my my engineering career. Uh, <laughs> you know, besides checking my paycheck every Friday or checking my bank account every Friday, um, you know. But I, I really uh, fortunate that my parents, when I sat them down, they, uh, you know, their response was, "Yeah, about time." Uh, they they kind of they came to a lot of our games my senior year because uh, they established a lot of relationships with the other parents. Um, so I think they saw the difference of me being around the team, uh, as a captain that senior year to, um, you know, me as a professional engineer every day. And, um, I think they knew that, that, that passion wasn't there. That was there, um, that I was on the team. So they were fully supportive, but, um, yeah, I, when I came to the decision, it was cause there was a channel, at, um, at the time on cable in the DC area that I don't, I don't even know what channel it was, but it showed big South and, um, uh, horizon league games for some reason. And what I found was I, w- I would stay up all night watching. And it happened to be when Brad Stevens was at Butler and Steph, Steph Curry was at, uh, Davidson. So it was, you know, unbelievable basketball. Um, I was staying up till one, two in the morning watching games, uh, and then waking up at five to get to work. And, you know, sometimes I work even watching Ivy League games on, um, you know, databases. Uh, and, and it just got to a point where I said, what am I doing? And, um, you know, actually made the decision to, um, you know, pursue some grad assistant jobs. That's kind of how I spun it to my parents, to be honest. I said I was going to get I'm going to get more of a degree. There you go. Yeah, yeah I said, oh, I'm going to try to get my master's and, and decide for this coaching thing. And then, um, you know those opportunities didn't pan out. Uh, I was really just going to move back to Ithaca and, and essentially coach Donahue was going to let me shadow um, him and coach Spiker and coach Graham and, and just kind of see what the business was about um, and hoping that that would open some doors the following year. And um, then I got a call from coach Donahue saying, Hey, a, a longtime friend of mine just got this job at Williams and uh, I think you think it'd be a great opportunity for you. And um, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. What, when did it's a, it's a difficult question but when did you kind of know that like in coaching when you were you know at Cornell or at Williams or when did you kind of know this is definitely what I want to do I don't even want to think about going back to civil engineer or doing anything differently or when did you know it was going to work like when did you know yeah. like, this is for me that's that's better great question a lot great question <laughs> good good job we we came into a really interesting situation at Williams. Um, coach, I, I never met Coach Maker when he hired me. He hired me over the phone. Uh, we both moved to town in mid-August. Uh, then we drove to Logan Airport, met the team in the airport, and flew to Italy with them. And um, so it was a unique way to meet the team. Um, but over that first month, I mean, Coach Maker was single at the time. I was, um, you know, I had a long-distance girlfriend at the time. So we spent a lot of time together with, along with. Uh, along with Coach Doherty, uh, who's now at Haverford, um, you know, so just those relationships and, and talking basketball. And um, what I loved about it was that every day was a little different. You know, you could be doing technology one day uh, with film stuff, then you could be doing sales uh, with recruiting. Uh, then you get on the floor and you're doing teaching. So just every day exploring a new uh, area was was really engaging for me uh, compared to you know my job. Um, as an engineer, you know, working at a construction site. So, um, that's when I knew I really wanted to do it. Uh, you know, little moments when, when I was at the sweet 16, a couple of my high school buddies drove up 
uh, for the Kentucky Cornell game from Maryland or just drove up and then left right after the game to drive back to Maryland. And one of them, you know, he, I think he had bought a house already. He's, you know, doing really well as an accountant, um, was like, man, I'm so jealous of you. And I, I remember looking at him and being like, you, I, I made zero dollars <laughs> this year. Um, you, you, do you know that? And he was like, it doesn't matter. What about You're the doing- intangible money? Kevin, that's what people don't understand, the, the fake intangible money that you get to make when you're sitting at home and you are excited you can afford a six-pack of PBR on a Sunday. <laughs> no, it, it does teach you, uh, to, you know, to make the most of, uh, make the most of money and, uh, and appreciate it. But it, it, was just, it was a validating moment where, um, you know, how fortunate I was to be able to do something that most people would love to be doing. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to then get a full-time uh, position with Coach Spiker at Army the following year, and um, you know, kind of stay in it. And never really have another, um, I guess, tenuous moment in your career where you have to make that decision of sticking with it or um, you know being on a, you know getting fired or anything. I haven't had another kind of tenuous moment um, besides those first couple of years. And I think that's the part where we tried to shed a little light on that. That that for most people, that's going to happen at least once or twice, and, and even later on, if you coach for twenty five or thirty years, chances are you're going to be on a staff that has you know gets fired somebody resigns whatever it's just kind of like the law of averages in the business not everyone has a career like you know we joke about coach dumphy but like you know the guy's been in philly for 45 years you only went to american for three years everything was pretty much smooth sailing from a you always have a job standpoint but there is always probably going to be a time in your career where whether you're 22 whether you're 27 whether you're 36 with a wife and two kids like that you do have to look yourself in the mirror and be like man do I, is this for me? Is this right? Can I handle the expectations? Can I handle the stress? Can I handle the pressure? Can I handle the financial part of it? And, you know, that's why I always, I love hearing like the passion and you saying like you're staying up and watching Brad Stevens, or you're watching Steph Curry, or you're, you're watching Dartmouth and Yale just to try to remember <laughs> that. Cause like that's the stuff you need. And, you know, that's the stuff that I talk about the smalls all the time. Like we miss it. You know, when you sit here and you're like, you're watching your friends coach and like you're seeing them on the sidelines. And even if they, if they lose by one, like even that feeling of like losing a close game like you you feel like you hate it but you still kind of miss that like sometimes it's like energizing get back in the office and be like all right what was our mistake so when we're there the next time like you don't make that mistake again and I think that you know that's what you kind of have to rest your laurels on if you are struggling as a young coach to be like is this right for me am I ever going to get a break it's like well shit man if you love what you're doing and if your friends are telling you like you got the best job in the business like you should listen to them because you're right Kevin like how many accountants do we know that are really really happy I mean, I know some, I think, but I don't I mean, it's just like, it's just a totally different experience. And I think that's where, you know, when people do struggle, like that's what you have to look at. Because if you are doing it for the money or you're doing it to try to get famous, it's just like, it ain't going to happen for most people. You know, 90% of people that doesn't really, you know, it just never happens, no matter how good you are, because it's just not the way the profession works. And so I just think like that, that part's really interesting. Guys, got to take one last break to talk about Under Armour. Whether you're competing, training, or recovering, Under Armour has created the best performing gear to make you better. Like you know about me, Smalls, I'm training for a half marathon, and anyone training for a half marathon has to talk about it as much as they can. But during the training process, I sweat a ton. Under Armour's gear keeps me cool and comfortable during the training process, allowing me to stay focused for longer and lock in during the half marathon process. With two new exciting collections, Vanish and Perpetual, Under Armour is ready to help you focus on performance and take your fitness game to the next level. Vanish is engineered to be more breathable so you feel lighter and less distracted. It's lightweight, 
quick drying, it won't cling or chafe, and it stretches without absorbing sweat. Perpetual's got a crazy amount of design and details to help improve the way your body moves. The print taping hugs and flexes for better alignment and muscle awareness. And now, they also have the best fitness apps to help you track and learn how to put that gear to the test. Track your runs, log workouts, and tap into coaching with Under Armour's Map My Run, which you can sync with other devices like Garmin, Apple Watch, or even one of Under Armour's connected running shoes. You can also track your diet with UA's MyFitnessPal, the fastest, easiest-to-use calorie counter app where you can set calorie and nutrition goals and discover recipes and diet tips. Like I said last week, I'm using the MyFitnessPal and MapMyRun apps to spearhead my half marathon training. Not sure if you heard about it, Smalls. I'm running a half marathon. I didn't. I didn't know that. But with these apps, I'm, I'm able to spearhead my training, and I'm going to reach my peak performance. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a beast. And if you sign up for the premium, you can unlock even more tools to help you achieve your fitness goals. Download Under Armour's Map My Run and My Fitness Pal in the Apple's App Store or Google Play Store today and take control of your fitness goals. That's right. Download Under Armour's Map My Run and My Fitness Pal in either the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take control of your goals today. And now back to Kevin. I just have one more question and, and it's we'll go into coach speak. But you, you mentioned this before. You, you played for Steve Donahue. Zach Spiker was an assistant there. You work for Zach Spiker at West Point. You work for Mike Maker at Williams. He, he gets the job at Marist. So you, your, your coaching tree that, that you sort of came from is, is really impressive. You even just mentioned Pat Doherty, obviously, Division One assistant for a long time. So it's just it's amazing the amount of people you worked from. What would you say as, you know, even a young assistant and then moving into a head, co- to a head coaching role? You know, what, what would you say you try and took from from those guys? And, and was it a, a little piece from each person that kind of shaped your philosophy? Or, you know, how did you learn from them? And, and, and how did you do it on a day-by-day basis to kind of shape who you were and make you ready to walk into the athletic director's office at Williams and say, like, man, I'm ready for this job and I'm going to take this program and, and keep it rolling? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Coach Maker was probably the one that directly taught me the most. Um, along with Pat Doherty that first year, Pat had been in coaching a couple years by that point. So, um, you know, really offered to be a great sounding board for me of, um, Hey, what are we supposed to be doing this time of year? Uh, Hey, how do you approach these recruiting calls? Um, and coach maker, same thing, you know, he had such a a long career as an assistant, um, you know, really just showed me how to teach, um, you know, how to mentor a team, how to love a team, um, you know, how to create a culture, uh, that you want. And, um, you know, so he really directly taught me, uh, coach Spiker and coach Donahue, you know, it's, it's more looking back on all the stuff they were teaching me. Um, I try to remind myself this now as a coach that, you know, as a player, sometimes you don't even know what you're being taught. Um, you know, so looking back, I think coach Donahue taught me, uh, probably more than anybody. And, you know, I obviously owe, uh, everything to him for, you know, allowing me to be on the team, uh, you know, trusting me to stay on the team. I mean, I was a walk on, he could have told me any day. Hey, we got a, We got enough players. We don't need you anymore. Um, you know, but instead he, you know, made me senior captain. Uh, you know, called Coach Maker for me. Uh, brought me back to a team that he knew had Sweet Sixteen potential. Uh, and I was 23 years old and um, had no problem. You know, letting me be on staff and, and trusting me to to coach. Uh, but Coach Donahue, just his passion and confidence. Uh, you know, you guys have been around him, but. Uh, you know, I just remember being, I was the 16th guy on the bench and, you know, we're playing Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. And, um, you know, I just remember thinking, hey, we can beat these guys if we just do what coach just taught us. Um, yeah, we got to do it well. They're good. But like, I think we can win. 
And, um, you know, I thought he kind of exuded that. Um, you know, he also, looking back, um, showed me how much as a coach you, you have to be willing to change. And, um, and, and he, you know, has spoken pretty openly about it. I was there, you know, my career was when, you know, things were, um, you know, turning the corner at Cornell where he had built it up. Um, and then we were kind of learning how to win. And then, you know, when I left as a player, uh, was when they won their championships and, um, you know, he'll, he'll tell you, I mean, he was different, a different coach my freshman year than he was my senior year and was completely different when I was back, uh, working, working with him, uh, in 2010 as well. And I think he's a lot different now, um, you know, from learning the game offensively, defensively, uh, you know, I think we had, you know, we had an incident my junior year where a player got paralyzed in practice. And, um, you know, I saw how that instantly kind of changed uh, Coach D's perspective and uh, made him more of a relationship-driven coach. Uh, you know, he and Coach Biker really showed me uh, in, in that Graham. Um, I was very – one of the reasons I was hesitant to get into coaching is because I really wanted to uh, settle down and start a family. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't – you know, I, I knew how hard this profession was and how, uh, you know, you just don't have control over what happens a lot of times. So um, I was very hesitant with that. And I think they showed me just by observing them uh, how you can do both, how you can manage a great family uh, and be a great coach and, and put you know time and energy into both. Um, you know, Spiker too. And then just watching him create a vision at West Point, get others to believe in that vision and then watch it come to fruition was, um, you know, it's amazing how much, uh, you know, kind of that taught me and um, just observing him, him do that process. I, I could see that based on the people that I know that are, were engineering majors, they're just very like pragmatic, you know, and it's kind of like you look at the situation from all sides, put in a little formula and they're like, nope, can't have a family and be a good basketball coach. I think probably letting that go a little bit. And it was harder for you. I could, I could guess. I don't want to lump all engineering majors into a bucket, but yeah, it was, it was just, I didn't know when you could settle down and start a family. And, you know, I, I wanted to do it earlier than later. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate in that regard. And, and they kind of showed me, um, you know, the sacrifices you have to make on either end, but, uh, you can do both. Uh, we will, uh, dive into coach speak because if I get to ask more questions, Kevin, this is going to be 40, you know, 45 hours long. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Right <laughs> like I now. said, I, I got, t- I got 10 more days. I got all the time. <laughs> <to work. laughs> all right. Smalls. First one, uh, this is from Jeff Brom, big, big win over OSU mm-hmm. on Saturday. This is Jeff Brom after right. the game. Smalls. I don't think last year and even before this week, we were ready for this moment. I told them we are ready for this moment now. You guys can win the game if you believe you can. And obviously, that was Jeff Brom. And in 2016-2017, that season, you guys beat conference rival Middlebury at their gym. And that took you in your third season to the Final Four. You got to take me through that moment and that experience, um, what you felt as a coach and almost the validation of, uh, you know, your hard work and your staff's work. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable moment, unbelievable college basketball atmosphere. Um, just the place was packed and, you know, it was hard pressed to not enjoy that environment, um, you know, win or lose. Um, but it was, uh, you know, I think a few things worked in our favor. We had a couple of guys that had been to the Final Four already, um, playing a league rival. Um, you know, it was a gym we had all played in before, so there was none of that, uh, oh, my God, this is the Elite Eight feeling. It was just, hey, we played this team two weeks ago. They beat us. Um, you know, we got to get revenge almost. Um, let's go have a good time. 
um, you know, and see what happens. And, you know, next thing you know, we're, uh, we're heading to the final four. And, um, you know, that moment was, was special just because, uh, Dan Aronowitz, one of our seniors that year, you know, that was the class that Duncan Robinson, um, transferred out of. So to watch them as a group kind of set that goal of getting the program back to that national level before they left, um, you know, they started in the national championship as freshmen and to get us back to the national final four seniors was really validating on their end. Um, so it was, you know, very enjoyable to watch, um, you know, them achieve, uh, kind of their major goal and, um, you know, really help this program out before they left, uh, which is what we talk a lot about. Just leave it that legacy. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to watch, uh, you know, somebody sent me the video of the, um, our student section rushing the court and, uh, that summer, you know, I watched it a few months afterwards and, and noticed all these little funny things that happened um, that you just don't realize when the moment happens. Um, my dad had come to Spain with the team. We, we went to Spain that August. My dad had come, so he felt like he, he knew everybody. And I'm watching the video, and I, all of a sudden I see this, uh, you know, in the moment to me, my dad was up in the stands, stoic, and I had to, I had to ask him to come take pictures. Um, then when I re- rewatched the video, uh, I see this body get up and run down the stairs, start giving all the players hugs on the court in the handshake line, and then run back up into the stands and sit down like he never did anything. I was like, Dad, was that – did you run on the court when we won? Uh, he said, sorry, sorry. I got a little excited. Um, but, uh, no, just a special moment, mainly for that senior class uh, to get us back to that level. Did you feel like – before we go into the next one, did you feel like you were ready at that moment to – be a final four head coach i know this question sounds stupid to everyone out there but the idea of like you're the head coach of the team going to the final four whatever level it's at did you feel like man like i i'm ready for this like i'm ready to handle it i'm ready to be the guy that guides these players to win a national championship or did you feel like man i these players have made me look so good like i just am curious your first reaction like when you're up on the podium did you have a chance to take it in did you have a chance to think about what it meant for you in your career like, were you able to take a breath? I mean, there's a lot jumbled in that. But what I'm trying to get at, I think, is you're, you're a young guy still, you know? And it's yeah. not quite – I mean, it's, it's about the pinnacle of the Division three, you know, season. And then I just wonder, you know, did you feel like you were ready for that moment? Uh, yeah, that's uh, – I'd probably lie and say yes, I did. Um, just like I you know, have for the last four years. But um, – yeah, it was. I, I learned a lot in that moment. Basically, I've learned a lot the last couple of years. Um, you know, and I, I think I had some of those feelings of, uh, and and what I found is I, I realized they were very selfish feelings, and I've, um, you know, tried to fight those. Actually, I, I learned a lot from Coach Donahue last year, just in his quotes uh, when Penn won the championship, and um, you know, he talked a lot about, uh, you know, how yes, this is great for this program. This is what this program expects, but. Uh, the longer he's been doing it, he just really um, takes pride in that moment for that team. And I think that's what I've you know, tried to harken back to is uh, no matter what it meant for me and how happy I was, um, I was more, you know, it was just a great moment. And, and we, we pitched that moment uh, in recruiting. So to watch it happen, I think more validated that I wasn't uh, creating a false narrative for the, uh, for the recruits. So I, I kind of felt some pride in that. Um, and, you know, and then you go through the coaching side of we lost and we lost in the semifinal. And now, you know, you think, hey, well, one, what if? And two, I want to get back now. And, um, you know, that, that tortures you in its own way. Yeah. And actually, it's a pretty good segue. We have uh, 
you know, a little six degrees of separation on this one. We, I went through it in the, in the prep sheet, guys, and I, I didn't want to talk about the 2010 NCAA tournament, but you just have to do it when you're a Big J journalist. Uh, shout out part of my take. If you don't do it, you're not doing your job. So this is Steve Donahue after losing in the Sweet 16 to Kentucky. Obviously, at Cornell this year, Kevin was on staff. Uh, Smalls and I were managers at Temple. We had a really good year and ran into the buzzsaw that was Ryan Whitman, Jeff Foote, Lewis Dale, and a bunch of other really good players and lost in the first round to Cornell in a 12-5 upset. But been in this league for 20 years, and I've had three NBA players on one team that didn't accomplish nearly what this team accomplished. I know it sounds corny, but they love each other more than any team in this tournament, in my opinion, and that's why we're good. And this, this, that's why we were good. Steve Donahue on the 2009-2010 Cornell Big Red after losing to Sweet 16. Kevin, what was it like? That team, I remember losing. I remember watching the next them beating Wisconsin. You guys beating Wisconsin. You were on staff. They loved each other. You know, watching Ryan Whitman and Lewis Dale and, and Jeff Foote and those guys and Robleski and I'm sure I butchered his last name, but they looked like they loved each other. What was it like to be part of this team as your first stop as a uh, Division One staffer? Yeah, it was um, it was a unique experience for me because those seniors were were freshmen when I was a senior so um you know honestly the the separation from a you know the third volunteer assistant to the senior captains wasn't too different so our relationship was very similar to when I was a senior and they were freshmen um and it was just uh, you know a lot of fun to be uh along the the ride and the journey with them and and they did they loved each other they had a ton of fun um you know, we had moments that year where not every team would react the way they reacted. We had, you know, a three-year starter get injured, um, a guy that hadn't played much step into his uh, spot while he was out and, and play really, really well and, you know, keep the spot. John Jakes ended up um, keeping the starting spot and made us better because he could stretch the floor shooting threes. And uh, the other senior that lost his spot, you know, had a quote that was just like, Something like, why, how, why would I be disappointed I'm not playing, um, you know, my best friend's having his first opportunity. And it was like, wow, uh, not every team feels that way um, or would say that. And uh, just kind of carried over. And, you know, I don't know if you remember them down at the NCAA tournament, but they were, you know, it was their third straight year as a team. And, um, you know, they were having the time of their life and, and just kind of enjoying being together. Um, uh, were you guys out there? The NCAA has a rule: you can't touch the balls yeah. an hour before tip off. The worst, one of the worst rules in sports. Like so, the you know the the Ivy League guys thought it would be funny. They, um, you know, they were all excited to get out there and play. So they um, took the slip knot and made a ball out of the tape. And you know, they went through layup lines with the tape, and they did a slam dunk contest with the tape until they were allowed to touch the balls. The uh, they were getting some death stares, and um, you know, but it was. One of the reasons I think we had some success is they were just uh, a, a loose, confident bunch that enjoyed playing together. Um, you know, it's probably the best role. You know, guys just settled into their roles and had no problem with it um, and had a great time. And, you know, when we lost, it was, you know, it was a very upset locker room. And we knew we went to the Sweet 16. We knew what a great accomplishment it was. But everybody was just, you know, so disappointed and sad that it was over yeah. and um you know you just want to kind of and and i've been fortunate to have that experience with a few teams um but uh yeah definitely definitely a special year and you know a group that i think all of us that were on the staff you know compare every team to in terms of personality and um 
you know, kind of relationships and uh, are trying to get, get us to. It, it goes into a little bit of like how the NCAA tournament is this really special experience, but it's it, what you see when you watch on TV is the side that wins and how special it is. And then, like you said, like you guys lose to Kentucky and feel like, man, we could have won the game. And like, I remember sitting in the locker room on the other side after the game and, and, and you're so sad for the seniors. You're like, you, you thought you had opportunity. It was a good draw. And, you, you know, you kind of run into this buzzsaw. Like I said, we talked about this off the air that we were probably a little bit underseated. You guys were definitely underseated as a 12. And it's just like, as an Ivy League team, I don't think the NCAA was ready to say like, they can be a nine seed or they could be an eight seed. But like, you guys took Kansas to the wire at fog. And like, I remember early in the season, it just kind of kept rolling downhill that this Cornell team is really, really good. And it's just, it was a situation where I, I, I remember Lewis Dale and I, I know that people don't know, but especially young guys don't remember Lewis Dale, but I think he won Ivy League player of the year, then got hurt and then came back and played if I'm, if I'm right, or was first team all Ivy point guard and then had kind of like a, a lost season in between. But I remember him making floaters and stuff and just was so happy to be like, it wasn't, he wasn't talking crap. He wasn't doing, it's just this big smile on his face as like they were making shots. And you could tell like the more shots that went in, the more comfortable they were and the more, and the tighter we got on the other sideline being like, man, they are ready to play. And like, it just, it's, it's different. You know, you go in, you're loose and you kind of catch that, that lightning in a bottle a little bit and feel like you can't miss and feel like everything's right. And, you know, you're playing basketball with the slipknot, whereas like you walk in as the higher seated team sometimes and it feels so much more intense than it is. And you kind of lose that joy, what the NCAA tournament really stands for of like, man, you watch this on TV your whole life. And I think it was very interesting now, 10 years later for me to look back and kind of the contrast between the two teams and, and seeing kind of like why the things happened the way they did. And it's just like I said, that group, you could just tell like they, they, I thought you guys were never going to lose, Kevin. I really feel I really feel it that way. Like I mean, we came out, we came out, and uh, you know, I think we got up five nothing on Kentucky, and looked at Nat Graham, and I was like, uh, and then you know, uh, I don't know if we scored forty points the rest of the game, but um, you know, we just uh, we we knew we were in trouble when Jeff Foot tried to he was two eighty five and tried to back down to Marcus Cousins and hit him like four <laughs> didn't, didn't work. He hit him like four times harder than anybody. Like it should have been a foul, probably. And Cousins just didn't move an inch. And we were like, "Oh, all right, that's how it's uh, going to go." A little bit different. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just think like guys don't necessarily understand. It. And that moment, the talent level, like you're saying, between like the John Walls and the Demarcus Cousins and the Jeff Foots and Lewis Dales, like for one day you get an opportunity for that to not matter. You know, like it doesn't matter that those guys are making 150 million. Like for one day you get a shot at those guys and. You get to give them everything you got. And if you win, it's awesome. If you lose, it's still an unbelievable experience. But I think the NCAA tournament's a little bit of a great equalizer in that regard, where you just you, you get you get that shot and you know you, you feel like, man, we can we can do this. And it's it's fun when it happens like that, right? It's I'm sure, you know, as you go, you'll have some really, really fun runs and some other runs that are not so fun because that's like I said, I think it's the law of averages a little bit, but that year for you guys, I'm convinced that the NCA rigged the selection process. So Dumpin Coach Donahue had to play against each other, but oh, one hundred percent. There was a there was a great photo, and I think it was the Ithaca Journal or the Cornell Daily Sun. Of you know, we had a huge viewing in the gym, and uh, you know, the crowd's all jumping up, and Coach Donahue is the only person sitting with his, he- you know, head in his hands, shaking his head like, "You got to be kidding me!" Uh, they stuck us with with Temple. Our our. Uh... 
one of our marketing guys at the time, I believe he still works at Temple, so I will not use his name, but he like legitimately like stormed out of the, like he was furious at the draw and like was like, they can't do this to these guys. It's just like, it's like not fair. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't think the NCAA really, really cares what's fair and what's not fair. Yeah. That's ama- it's amazing how many storylines show up on those first, first weekend tests. Absolutely. To make this uh, a little lighter, let's take it to the city review. Um, after that depressing uh, rehashing of terrible times in our lives, not for you, Kevin, but uh, <laughs> city review. So Williamstown, Massachusetts is where you, Williams College. Me and Tyler are coming up for a weekend. We're coming up on Friday. We'll drive, right, Tyler? You'll come to Philly. I'll drive you up. Um, I've heard Williamstown is out there in the middle. I actually, just full disclosure, I have two really good friends in Nashville who both went to Williams, met there, you know, storybook love story. So I've heard some good things about Williams and Williamstown. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, so just give me three restaurants, two bars or night spots, and an activity to do in Williamstown. Yeah, so we're we're a quaint New England town. That's beautiful. um, Probably the best way to do it. I'm picturing uh, the Freddie Prince Jr. What's the most summer catch? Like, that's what I want. Because I think I've talked about summer catch before on the podcast as well. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to refresh my uh, summer catch. No problem, dude. 2001. Uh, memory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, we're great. I mean, this is a great time actually to be in town. It's, uh, you know, it becomes a tourist attraction with the, the fall foliage. But, uh, you know, if you're up here uh, for a weekend, you get up here Friday, you got to, you know, you can't come to Williamstown without going to the Purple Pub. Um, you know, we are in the purple Valley. We are the purple cows. Uh, so everything purple in town. Um, so you got to go to the purple pub to, to start the weekend. Um, you know, depending upon how long you stay there, we will start Saturday morning at the, uh, the chef's hat. Um, just, a you know, terrific diner. Um, you know, coach Doherty once had a battle with, a. uh, a bowl of, uh, oatmeal at the chef's hat. Um, you can, you can ask him about that. Um, he just stared at it for an hour and a half. Um, but, uh, you know, so that's a great spot. Our, our team's favorite spot to get some breakfast. Um, then we'll probably head over. North Adams is the town about 10 minutes away. Um, there's uh, Mass Mulca's, one of the, you know, the smallest you're big into contemporary art. Yes. Um, okay. Very. He, he uh, that's, uh, but over there they have, it's, it's an old warehouse they've converted into a bunch of, you know, different, um, you know, breweries. There's a Bright Ideas Brewery over there. Uh, we'd probably go to for an afternoon beer, and then um, you know, head over. Public is a uh, you know one of our other favorite restaurants in the area. Um, go there for dinner, and then uh, you know, probably end up at Ramonto's. There's either one around the corner, or there's one. We we probably come back uh, to downtown Williamstown on Spring Street uh, to Ramonto's to end the night. Uh, a nice kind of pizza pub. Love it. Uh, atmosphere i love it uh, and now give me an activity what are we doing in williamstown activity so in the fall you know your best bets to enjoy the uh you know appreciate the the mountains and the the berkshires up here so you know probably have to head up uh you know at least drive up to mount graylock and enjoy the um you know it's the highest highest point in uh, new england so uh, go enjoy the view and then stop at the old forge on the way back and grab some some of their famous wings and, um, you know, the, if you come up during the summer, it's a big, uh, big time attraction for, they have a theater festival here and, uh, they always have some big name people rolling through. So you can either catch the show or, 
Uh, the fun part is, you know, figure out which restaurant or bar all the uh, um, actors are, are heading to and, uh, you know, get them going at the uh, establishment. Theater and contemporary art, we're really broadening our horizons and I'm really excited. Um, so this that's, is going to be a great the, trip. The, the liberal arts schools, that's what they're about. The, uh, you know, the balance. Open my eyes. Uh, well, balanced, well-rounded education. So, um, but no, most of the people, they, uh, so, uh, you know, Pousset from Orange is a New Black was one of the okay. um, main actresses in town this summer. Um, Bradley Cooper's been up here before. So, um, you can kind of, you know, sometimes head out, they'll head out after the show. So, um, if you don't want to take in the show, you can take in the, uh, celebrity, uh, hanging out with them in a small town setting. That's uh that's actually pretty cool. We have had, like I said, a lot of liberal arts. We, we've, we've not experienced that. I don't think smalls. So we, we need to make that a trip, like just hit a bunch of schools and like, a three or four weekend period of time and, and see what we can get in the fall. Yeah, see how smart we can get. Might make the <laughs> podcast better. All right, 10, uh, 10 touches. I got the first five. Uh, who's the funniest person you've ever worked with or coached? Uh, worked with was probably Ryan Wearsma. He played at Eastern Kentucky and, and worked here at Williams um, and has recently been at Center College and, and now is uh, pursuing some stuff in high school, but just, um, you know, hysterical. Uh, sense of humor you know one of those guys that makes a joke and and he's the first one to laugh at it uh, <laughs> a lot of those. so but uh, a lot of fun to work with and, and be around uh what's your worst basketball travel experience uh, i was probably you mentioned so we the night we played kansas and in, in fog um there was a blizzard that night uh just a really bad uh, midwest blizzard uh, we had to travel uh on by bus from kansas up to uh, south dakota uh, for our next game. Uh, it was Coach Spiker's final uh, gift to the program before he left for our Army. Um, was scheduled on that road trip. But on, on the way, we bu- we stopped in uh, Blair, Nebraska, where one of the seniors was from, and we practiced at his high school and um, went out to dinner at this nice restaurant in town. But, um, you know, as people in the Midwest know, after a blizzard, if, uh, you know, the cornfields, all the snow gets blown back on the roads, so we left the restaurant a little too late. Um, they had to actually bring up snowplow, and uh, we had to follow the snowplow out to get us back to the interstate. And uh, for some reason, we still don't know why, our bus driver went left when uh, the snowplow went right. And um, we went about a mile, mile and a half down some farm road um, until we got stuck. And then... Uh, Actually, at the time, Coach Donahue was on fo- on the phone with ESPN doing a phone interview as we're stuck uh, in the middle of these cornfields and had to wait about 45 minutes for the snowplow had to back up a mile and a half to our bus and plow us out while we backed up for, you know, a mile and a half. Not going, you know, it was, it was pretty a uh, remarkable feat by the bus driver not to veer off into the uh three foot deep snow but uh we we made it out but it, it made for an interesting trip uh what are you currently reading and what are you currently binge watching if you before the season starts because you do have 10 free days coming up yeah. uh so actually back to the 2010 uh cornell team my wife and i are a little behind the times in binging we're, we're binge watching um friday night lights oh, i'm so uh, jealous I, I, yeah i think it's on you i think it's on youtube if you uh the 2010 Cornell team, they would make these bets with each other. And uh, one of the bets was they had to uh, 
the guys that went and did the interviews after practice and the games and then you know, the tournament, they had to incorporate famous uh, quotes from Friday Night Lights into <laughs> that the is awesome. Um So I think they're on YouTube. You can, if you type in like Lou Dale, Friday Night Lights, he, uh, you know, was talking about babies and memories and stuff. So, um, <laughs> We uh, I'm hit you with like a Texas Forever just in Ithaca, you know, what I mean? or Ithaca Forever, something like that. It's great. Yeah, they were, they were the media wasn't wasn't too happy with them sometimes since they were making a mockery of it, but it was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, my wife and I are making our way through that, uh, which is also pretty, um, you know, parallels to small town uh, basketball coach and and you know small town high school football coach in Texas. There's been some funny. Uh, wow, that happened. That happened to us. Um, moments, but uh, you know, reading. I'm um, just finished a couple that I actually got from this podcast. Uh, nice. So finishing those, won't give those. But uh, two that I just got that I'm looking forward to reading. Uh, one just called "Getting More: uh, How to Be More Persuasive uh, in Work and Life," and then um, Abraham Lincoln's one of the you know kind of guys I have leaders I have to. Uh, read a little bit more into so one of his books uh, books about him team of rivals do you think you would uh make it as a coach if you had as many like photo finishes like uh uh smalls what coach taylor yeah. i mean every single every single game is like at the buzzer or overtime plus like something terrible happens in town like do you think you could handle the emotions of coaching the dylan panthers <laughs> we did we did have uh I think we lost five buzzer beaters in my first two years and, and three overtime <laughs> games. So, um, you know, but I, I, I can't draw up the 55 yard home run touchdown plays as often as he I can. The guy's the best ever with the grease board. Like it's okay. amazing. What, what, Everything what season are you on right now? Uh, season three. Uh, okay. I think would you, would you like if Tim Riggins missed a whole week of practice cause he was in Mexico drinking tequila, do you think you would let him <laughs> back on the team? Would that go down at Williams? There's there's been a lot of moments where I'm like, is this what high school kids do? Like I I, I must have missed high school. Uh, uh, I think at, one point, at one point, my wife looks at me and goes, "Tim Riggins is 36 years old playing high school football. Like he just have no yeah. idea what's going on with that guy." WWRD has been said in our house quite frequently <laughs> the last last three weeks. Oh man, along the same lines, what's the greatest game uh, you were in as a player? I, I was hoping this was a typo because that really narrows uh, narrows the scope. Um, no did w, I have to play? No WCAC title game. Or did something? I did I have to play in the game? No, um, you could be on the yeah, team. You, you were just yeah, fly uh, on the wall. Man. Yeah, we we weren't. Uh, you know, we beat uh, you know we beat O'Connell um, my senior year. Uh, I was pretty. You know, they were like top ten in the country at the time. We beat them in front of a pretty. Um, big time home crowd. We played my sophomore year. I didn't get in the game, but we played against Carmelo Anthony at Towson Catholic. It was the first time I realized, um, you know, where I was at on the basketball <laughs> spectrum uh, compared to some others. And then, um, you know, as a at Cornell, um, and I mean, we we had some. We were you know beating Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. Um, you know, we ended up losing, but we were up five with a couple minutes left and it was just a pretty crazy environment, um, you know, as a player. All right. What last one from me, what, uh, what's been your most proud moment as a coach so far? 
um, you know, in terms of like wins and losses and results, I think that that moment of getting the program back to the Final Four and seeing that senior class, um, or just the vision we create here coming to fruition, was pretty uh, rewarding and proud. Um, you know, then just the little moments. I think I'm learning more and more are the most um, proud times as a coach that I think some of the other coaches have touched on. Uh, you know, like this past week, uh, one of our seniors just got his first job offer, and you know, being it's a it's a rewarding profession when you're one of you're you're on the short list, uh, you know, along with their parents and family to to have those life moments be shared with you, uh, whether it's weddings, engagements, jobs. So, um, you know, that those are pretty proud moments. Real quick, Smalls, let me yeah, jump in. Do it, Kevin. How how much uh, easier has it gotten to appreciate those little moments as they happen rather than? I'm sure the first couple of years you're just scrambling and trying to do a ton. And then like a week later, you're like, man, that was pretty cool. Are you able to appreciate those moments as they come now? Or does it still need to take a little bit to register? Like, man, I'm really, really happy about this. And this is great for myself, our program, obviously players, whatever. But those like little moments, how often do you find yourself being able to stop and say like, man, this is awesome now? Yeah, I, I try to. I, I think it's, a uh, you know, depending upon the time of year. Um, Again, my wife is the one that has to remind me that, uh, you know, one, it doesn't happen in every program. We're, we're fortunate we uh, have a program where we have some strong relationships and, and culture where, uh, you know, the players feel invested and they feel the coaches are invested in them. And, uh, you know, and again, it doesn't happen in every profession. So she's constantly kind of reminding me of that. Like, that's pretty cool that you were one of the first calls to, you know, tell about a job change or, you know, announce that they're getting married. Um, you know, so she's she's a constant reminder, but I try to appreciate them um, and to get the team to understand that you know that's ultimately what it's about more than anything. Right. What would you do if you weren't weren't coaching? Uh, sadly, I'd probably be still stuck in traffic on the DC. You'd go back uh, two ninety five every day. Love it. Just, just getting on, you know, putting my hard hat on and examining uh, a hole in the ground. Um, <laughs> so so excited. But, I know. No, it's a, it's a great job. Um, but yeah, I, I think I always, you know, in the back of my mind gravitated towards yeah. teaching. Um, you know, I, 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 again, I think going to an Ivy league school, I was hesitant to, um, you know, they don't pay teachers a whole lot. So I, I was hesitant to, um, pursue that. And, you know, I am fortunate that I get to teach in, in this manner now. What would you change about college basketball? Oh, I was trying to give you guys something different. I don't know. I, we already I really, mentioned the one-hour rule of touching the basketball, which which Smalls did mess up uh, one year, but they didn't they didn't pull the trigger on me. <laughs> well, like at one point, one of the people at the scores table, Kevin, said something. This was like maybe 2008 or like the A-10 tournament, that if you actually touched a ball, then it like starts the clock early or something, even if no one else is out there as like a threat. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, why are we sitting out here and letting guys get tight before like an open practice? Yeah, it was, I, I've never understood that one. Uh, we, we, we got in trouble one year because we messed up the timeline and weren't out for the national anthem. And I, I don't know what the, I also don't know what the punishment is. Um, yeah, there's no, you, there's no recourse it. for that. Like. Uh, but, um, you know, if I could, I, I really thought that rule that they were, presenting about allowing more people to be on the floor coaching no matter your your job title um i thought that was really worthwhile and that and i know it you know might give an advantage to schools with more resources but i think it just opens up more jobs 
Um, you know, and, and you have less of those uh, situations where people have to decide, um, you know, is this going to be held against me because I'm not on the floor? Is this going to be held yeah. against me? Um, and it, I thought, you know, for young coaches and for older coaches, sometimes, you know, as people say, oh, we need more of a recruiter. It's like, well, some phenomenal teachers are out there. Um, and if you could create more opportunity to get them on the floor, um, you know, with your team, I, I think that would really help the the game. Totally agree. Do you have a pregame routine? Uh, nothing. I, I'm very fortunate. I, my, being in a quaint New England town, our house is about a five minute walk uh, from the gym. So um, usually after shooting around, after getting a workout in, I'll head home. Before we had a daughter, I, I would I started trying to take naps just to clear my mind and you know try to get a little more energy for the game. Um, now I'll usually just kind of hang out with my wife and daughter for a couple hours and then head back in, um, turn on some music in my office. Again, try to take my mind, uh, off all the, uh, scary scenarios that are playing through my, my head, uh, about what could happen in a couple hours and then, uh, just get my game sheet prepared and, uh, get ready to go. Your favorite and least favorite practice drill. Yeah. So this is one of the finally got to the question that I wanted to really the only reason I wanted to get on the podcast, even though I really appreciate what you guys do um, <laughs> is I wasn't quite sure if everyone knew that Sean Retigliano was complimenting me. Um, Cause he quickly segued into, you know, coach Spiker losing his mind. And um, so I, I am a, I'm a phenomenal mister because I'm a really good shooter. And that's uh, where he never, I thought voiced too clearly. Um, Oh, every my least favorite drill as a player. Uh, once we we had a drill called Badger closeouts. Um, you know, there's just a different series of closeouts, and you know, as the slow bad defender walk on, uh, just just a very anxious moment in practice every day. <laughs> um, so once once that drill was over and we got to more you know offensive skill work or, or scrimmaging, and I could hide a little bit more. Um, you know, that was uh, a big moment in practice every day when the closeouts were over. Yeah, I think uh, you made a good point about being a good misser because you were you were a good shooter. I mean, in my experience at Phil U, Chris Angelos, not not a very good shooter, so a very bad misser. I would just – because, like, I didn't know what to do. Should I just shoot it normal? But what if I'm feeling hot that day and the ball's just yeah. going down? Now, Sean Wirt, on the other hand, was really good at Westchester, and when he was helping – he, he great shooter. He missed perfect every time. So I don't know. Herb like very anxious for me every day in practice at Philly U for five years. Why didn't Why didn't Herb just shoot at Smalls? He's the greatest. Uh, he can't miss. Like <laughs> literally can't miss. So like when Herb would do it, when Coach McGee would do it, he would underhand it from like half court because and it would be like a perfect miss because that's the only way. So I appreciate the good misser comment. Yeah, that's how I got my start because Coach Donahue would make a couple in a row and then he'd, he'd throw me the ball. And, you know, at that point as the assistant, it's like, well, I can't make another one. I better miss this. Um, you know, so I I claim – Coach Donahue would, would always claim uh, he was in the 99th percentile in parallel parking, whistling, and hook shots. Got a great so, whistle. Uh, he does. Uh, yeah, I think he's right on the, the claim. 
Um, but it's uh, good. So. That, it's good that he's got a city job, and I'm sure at, at Penn, a parking spot's not part of your contract there, so he has to parallel park every day. Or he told him he doesn't want it, so he can just parallel park. Yeah, yes. he's that type so. of. He's probably that type of tough guy, honestly. Where he's like, make sure there's a tiny spot for me to parallel park <laughs> into every single day. Yeah, um, but so I would I would claim I'm 99th percentile and and game game misses. That's awesome. <laughs> game like misses. Yeah. Hidden talent. Do you have one? Uh, it was what I had listed was I'm a good shooter because uh, I, I don't really get to show that frequently anymore. It's been a decade of missing shots. Um, we're gonna add you to the list. Uh, the Mike Dunn shootout. You know, we're gonna have a bunch of podcast guests. You know, have have a big shootout. And we'll see who's the best shooter. Two future podcast guests for us. Uh, I, I kind of mentioned his name, Will Hardy, who who coached or played here um, and has kind of carved out a, a terrific career in the NBA. Um, you know, would be I think a great uh, you know interview. Just he's had a you know just a tremendous experience and um, you know great insight into you know kind of making the most of uh, an opportunity and um, you know seeing where it happens and then. Uh, you know, the D3 level, Dale Wellman, who won the D3 National Championship at uh, Nebraska Wesleyan, you know, he's a terrific coach and, um, you know, has, you know, built a program, uh, you know, at um, Alfred uh, up in New York um, before heading out to Nebraska Wesleyan. He's been all over the country. He's, you know, he's really done a great job everywhere he's been. Yeah, Will, uh, we actually know Will a little bit just through one of our buddies who worked down there. And once the San Antonio Spurs are done solving, the like world's energy crisis and everything's not under wraps. Hopefully he will come on, but uh, you know, that's like basically a black site down there in San Antonio. Nobody knows where it is. Nobody knows what they do every day. And you're not allowed to have uh, communication recorded apparently. So you work on Will Hardy for us. Cause, cause we would love to have him and we'll take uh take Dale, but it's just funny. 10 day project. <laughs> I'll get on. All right. Party yeah. shots. Save two questions. Uh, Kev, what's the best advice anyone's ever given you? Uh, in coaching, it was uh, Coach Maker used to always say, and I think it was a uh, a beeline uh, quote. But you can do anything you want, not everything. And it's uh, you know one of those things I just keep telling myself in my head as I'm playing a practice. Um, you know, as, as I look at my career, uh, as I you know think about my balance between family and coaching, uh, it's just you know a quote that I I feel I'm constantly coming back to. And then um, you know, just in regards to kind of life advice, it's it's the one. Rule I have with our team, actually, I don't know who said it to me or taught it to me, but um, you know, you make choices, you don't decide the consequences. So, um, just really putting a lot of thought into that that front end of the equation uh, on the choices, um, and and kind of letting go and, and understanding you don't always dictate uh, what happens on the back end. Face to face with your twenty five year old self, what are you telling that person? Oh, if I've just gotten to West Point, uh, I'd probably say definitely, definitely marry the swim coach, uh, who's my wife now. Um, and then, uh, you know, I would, I'd probably say you might not have, uh, coach Sparger probably laugh at this, but, uh, you might not have all the answers, but, but keep asking questions. I think sometimes young coaches, they're, um, you know, they don't want to be painted as that, that guy that's talking too much or, um, thinks they know everything. and. You know, I think part of that's just presenting uh, your questions because you should have a lot of questions when you're when you're young and when you're starting out. And I think questions can help your program uh, advance quicker. 
you know, because sometimes we all get stuck in doing things a certain way and uh, getting somebody to come in and ask, hey, why are we doing this? Or uh, why did you plan practice that way? Um, you know, you got to work on how you present it. I, I tell the team there's a fine line between, you know, asking questions and questioning. And, um, you know, so I think I just kind of remind myself, uh, one, to be better probably at that balance. Um, but, but keep asking questions because, you know, when I look back, um, you know, probably some of the days and moments I learned the most were when, um, you know, I kind of questioned something and then somebody explaining it a little deeper, uh, taught me more than I would have learned just by, uh, you know, listening to them. Right. And I think I'm actually pretty guilty of that too, Kevin, where you just, you just can't let certain things go. You just have to know more, you know, and you just always endlessly curious I, I actually did jot down in the middle of this i wanted you to explain to me what an eef was because i knew the purple cows but you know sometimes people say the william college eefs or f's e-p-h-s yeah. so before i sign us out could you explain to the listeners what that is e-p-h-s <laughs> yeah so uh the founder the founder of williams college was uh ephraim williams and um he would not uh, fit well in our basketball program. He was a fairly selfish, egotistical individual. Uh, so when he <laughs> donated the money to found the college, he uh, you know kind of demanded that they name the college and everything after him. So that's where um, the East comes from. Is, is the founder of the college, Ephraim Williams? After him, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so good so for him. Williamstown, Williams College, and Williams East. So, <laughs> oh man, well we appreciate it. So, this is actually a hundred percent true story. Uh, Kevin did email me just to plead his case as the good misser comment being a compliment, and it spiraled into us being like, "Hey, why don't you come on the show? This will be a lot of fun." And, and it <laughs> was it was a lot of fun, and I appreciate you hopping into the office a little bit early this morning and, and talking to us. He is at Coach Kevin App on Twitter and you guys are ranked, I believe in the preseason top 10, I think eighth uh, nationally. I'm sure you're putting a lot of stock into that as no games or practices have been had, but it should yeah. be a pretty exciting season for you guys. And we are very, very excited to follow along. And like I said, I really appreciate you coming on and going along with us this morning, talking about a lot of different stuff because I had an absolute blast. Smalls probably had a good time, I hope, but, and, uh, Great, great time. And like I said, I just appreciate it. Like I said, I appreciate anybody that comes on and they're honest with their journey. So like I said, at Coach Kevin App on Twitter, you know, follow him, get in touch with him. He's got a lot of advice to give. And Kev, thanks for your time this morning, man. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. 